A Man Sent From God. William Brigham. By Gordon Lindsay. Chapter 21. The purpose of writing these visions is for the glory of God, and His Son Jesus Christ. They were shown to me by His holy angel and it is not for any self-praise that they are written. I have been asked by many to write them, and I have taken it upon my heart to relate a few of them. They are very sacred to me. Some of these visions required time for their fulfillment. But always they came to pass just as they were shown to me. It makes my heart very humble to think that the Almighty would show His servant these things. I tell these things that people may believe on Jesus Christ, and be saved by believing. The first vision that I remember seeing was when I was about seven years of age. This vision perhaps did not have the great spiritual meaning that the subsequent ones had, as I was so very young I could not have understood it. But it was God giving me the first glimpse of the working of this particular gift, by which I have seen many things happen before they were fulfilled. In this vision, which came to me when I was playing with my brother, I saw a large bridge being built across the Ohio River, and a number of workmen falling off of it. I saw just how it was constructed and where it would be. This seemed impossible then, but later it came to pass just as it was shown to me. One night, not long after my conversion, I returned from a place under an old oak tree, where, before, I had engaged in secret prayer. It was some time between one and three and my mother and father heard me as I entered my room, and they called me, telling me my little sister was ill. I knelt and prayed for her and then returned to my own room. After entering my room, I heard a sound which was like two electric wires rubbing together, causing them to arc. I was working as a lineman at the time, and I thought there must be a short in the circuit in the house. But suddenly the sound changed and a strange light filled the room. Then it seemed to me I was standing in the air. It frightened me very much and I thought I was dying. After that I noticed that the light was all around me. Looking up I saw a large star just above from where the light was coming. It came closer and closer. Then it seemed I could neither breathe nor speak. Next the star appeared to settle on my breast. At that point a scene changed, and it seemed that I appeared upon a green grassy hill, and just in front of me lay an old-fashioned four-cornered candy jar. Inside the jar was a large tobacco moth or fly trying to free itself. I started to turn to my right, and there was the mighty angel standing looking at me. He said, see what I have to show you. Then I saw an arm cast a stone, and break the candy jar. The tobacco moth tried to fly away. But it could not get off the ground. Its body was too heavy for its short wings. Then out of the moth came swarms of flies, and one of the flies flew in my ear. The angel said unto me, The flies which you have seen represent evil spirits, such as spirits of divination and fortune-telling. Then he warned, Be careful. This was repeated three times. After that I came to myself. I could not sleep any more that night. The following day I was very careful. I would watch every move, expecting something to happen at any time. The whole thing was very new to me, for it was the first warning I ever had by a vision. At noon that day, I went to a little grocery store to buy my lunch. There was a Christian who worked in the store. I had just led him to Christ. He afterwards was a great helper to me in the gospel work. While there I was relating my vision to him, when a lady stepped in the front door of the store. I had a peculiar feeling, and I knew a strange spirit had come in. I mentioned it to brother George Dark, my friend. The lady stepped up to his brother Ed, and said, I am looking for a man by the name of Brynham. 
I have been told he is a man of God. Then Ned called me. When I came where she was, she asked me, Are you William Brynham, the prophet of God? I answered her, I am William Brynham. She questioned, Are you the one that performed this miracle on Mr. William Merrill at the hospital and healed Mary Ohanian? She lives on Yoke Street, New Albany, Ind. After she had been crippled for years? I replied, I am William Brynham. Jesus Christ healed them. She then said, I have lost some real estate, and I want you to locate it for me. I never did understand exactly what she meant by her statement concerning her real estate, but I knew that Satan had sent her on this errand. I then said to her, Madam, you have come to the wrong person. You must have been looking for a reader or a medium. Then she turned to me and asked, Aren't you a medium? I replied, I am not. Mediums are of the devil. I am a Christian and have the Spirit of God. Upon hearing this she gave me an icy look. Before I could say anything further, I heard the Spirit of God say to me that she was a medium herself, and that this was the fly that came to my ear, in the vision. Then I told her, the Lord Jesus sent his angel to me last night in a vision, to warn me of your coming, and for me to be careful. I thank my Lord for his guiding hand. Now this work that you are in is of the devil, and you have come to grieve the Spirit of God. She felt of her heart, and said that she needed some medicine. I replied, Madam, quit doing these things and your heart will be all right. She walked from the store only a short distance, when she suffered a heart attack and died right on the sidewalk. A few days later, I was speaking to some mechanics in a garage about the love of Christ, in the same city of New Albany, and I also told the men about the vision. I was just about to ask them to pray and give their hearts to God, when the man from the garage next door said, Billy, you are welcome in my garage anytime, but leave that fanatical religion outside. I replied, Sir, where Jesus is not welcome I will not come. But I speak that which is true, which God has revealed unto me. After I had made this statement, he gave a snarling laugh, then shook his hand at me and walked out of the building. But before he could get to his garage, his own son-in-law, backing out of the door with his truck full of scrap iron, struck him, crushing both his feet and ankles. Two days later, while speaking at a street meeting, a lady with a crippled arm said to me, I know God's anointing is upon you. When you pray please remember my crippled arm. It has been in that condition for several years. I spoke to her, if you truly believe, stretch out your arm, for Jesus Christ has healed you. Immediately her arm was made straight. The poor woman cried for joy as she knelt and thanked God. A woman standing by said, if that religion Billy Brynham has is the true religion, I do not want any of it. But as she turned to walk away, a peculiar thing happened. She stumbled over a board, and falling to the ground, she broke her arm in places. The arm that was broken, was on the same side as the woman's was that was healed. About two months after the baptizing on the Ohio River, when the star appeared before the hundreds of people who stood on the banks, God gave me a vision. I was getting ready to lay the cornerstone of my tabernacle. Major Aldi of the Volunteers of America, a friend of mine, was coming over to furnish music for laying of the cornerstone. On the day of the laying of the cornerstone, L was awakened about six o'clock in the morning. The Indiana sun was well up, and all nature was making music. I looked out the window. The birds were singing, the bees were humming. The fine perfumes of the fragrant honeysuckle were in the air. I lay there thinking, Oh great Jehovah, how wonderful you are. Just a little while ago it was dark. 
Now the sun has arisen and all nature is rejoicing. Again I thought, soon this world which is cold and dark, will rejoice with nature, because the sun of righteousness will arise with healing in his wings. As I was worshipping God, suddenly I felt the angel of the Lord in the room. I turned over in bed and was in a vision immediately. I think that this vision, though I didn't understand it at the time, has a lot to do with my ministry this day in my trying to bring into fellowship the churches with each other, that they should not let sectarian ideas separate them, and that each Christian should go to the church of his choice, but at the same time have fellowship and godly love for one another. Now in the vision I found myself standing on the banks of the river Jordan, preaching the gospel to the people. I heard a sound behind me, like that made by swine. Looking around I remarked, this place is polluted. This is sacred ground, where Jesus himself trod. In the vision I was preaching against this, when the angel of the Lord took me into my tabernacle, although the cornerstone had not yet been laid. The vision showed the tabernacle as it actually was when it was built. I looked around. People were packed everywhere, and a large crowd was standing. In the vision I saw three crosses. Afterward I placed in my church three crosses as I had seen them in the vision, the larger center one being the pulpit. I exclaimed, Oh this is wonderful! This is glorious! Then the angel of the Lord came to me in the vision and said, This is not your tabernacle. I remonstrated, Oh Lord, surely this is my tabernacle. But he answered, No, come and see. He took me out, and I was looking at the bright blue sky. He said, This is to be your tabernacle. Looking down again I saw that I was in the midst of a grove of trees and in the center where I was standing, was an isle. The trees were planted in big green pots. On one side were apples, and on the other side were great plums. On the right and left were two pots with nothing in them. Next I heard a voice out of heaven, which spoke, The harvest is ripe, but the laborers are few. I asked, Lord what can I do? Then as I looked again I noticed that the trees looked like pews, in the vision of my tabernacle. Down at the end of the row was a big tree standing and it was full of all manner of fruit. On either side of it were two little trees with no fruit and standing side by side, they seemed as three crosses. I questioned, what does this mean and what about those pots with nothing in them? He replied, you are to plant in those. Then I stood in the breach, taking branches from both trees, and planted them in the pots. Suddenly, out of the pots came two large trees that grew till they reached the heavens. After that, a mighty rushing wind came and shook the trees. A voice spoke, hold out your hands now, you have done well. Reap the harvest. I held out my hands and the mighty wind shook into my right hand a great apple, and into my left hand a great plum. He said, eat the fruits. They are pleasant. I began eating the fruit, first a bite off of one, then a bite off of the other and the fruit was deliciously sweet. I think this vision had to do with the bringing of the peoples of the churches together. In the vision, I was transplanted from one to the other, to bring the same fruits out of both trees. Next I heard a voice say again, the harvest is ripe and the labor is a few. I looked at the middle tree, and great clusters of apples and plums were hanging all over the tree which was in the shape of a cross right down to its trunk. I fell down under the tree and cried, Lord, what can I do? the wind began to rain fruit all over me, and I heard a voice saying, when you come out of the vision, read 2 Timothy. This was repeated three times. Then I found myself in my room. I grabbed a Bible and began to read, preach the word. 
for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, doctrinal divisions in the church, but after their own lusts shall they heap to themselves teachers, having itching ears. Do the work of an evangelist, make full proof of thy ministry. I tore that leaf out of my Bible, and placed it with my testimony in the cornerstone that was laid that same day. That sound doctrine, I believe is godly love one for another. So it came to pass that my work was not to pass through although shortly after, I missed the vision, and great sorrow came because I did not go forth on the call but later God sent me into his field to do this work. I have lived to see the day when this vision is being fulfilled. I thank God for this humble ministry through which I am trying to do my part to unite God's people, so that they might be one in heart and spirit. And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. Your young men shall see visions. These are the words of a prophet. I believe we are living in that day. The vision that I am now relating was very outstanding. It was given me in my mother's home where I was staying one night shortly after the recent war broke out in Europe. Sometime between midnight and dawn I awoke with a terrible burden upon my heart. I prayed for quite a while but couldn't seem to get relief. Two hours went by. Then suddenly I entered into a vision and I found myself going up a hill toward a little crude house. I entered through the door, and within the room I noticed a red chair and a red dowelfold. Sitting in the red chair was an old woman with glasses, crying. On the bed to the right was a little brown-haired boy about three or four years old. I could see that he was terribly afflicted and his little body was drawn up. The legs and an arm seemed to be wound up into knots. Standing at the middle door was a dark-haired woman, apparently the mother and she was weeping bitterly. Over against the bed was a tall dark-looking man, the father. I said to myself, isn't this strange? I was at my mother's house just a few moments ago. Next, I looked to my right, and there stood the angel of God, dressed in white. For the moment I didn't know what to do, but my heart went out to the baby that was lying on the bed. The angel said to me, can that baby live? I answered, I do not know. The angel said, have the father bring the baby to you and you put your hands upon its stomach. So the father brought it to me and I prayed and suddenly the father dropped the child. It hit on its little leg, and the leg started unwinding. Then it took a step, and then another step, and then walked over into the corner. After that the child came walking to me and said, Brother Brigham, I am well now. The angel asked, Did you consider that? I answered, I did, sir. Then he told me to stand still. He took me and set me down on a country road where there was much gravel. I looked over to my right and there was a graveyard and some big tombstones. He said, read the names and the numbers of them. I did. He again took me and set me down in a little crossroad settlement with a grocery store and four or five houses. There, coming out of the store, was an old man with a white mustache wearing overalls and a yellow corduroy cap. The angel said, he will direct you. Then he took me the third time, and this time I was going into a house. I saw a young woman at the door. She was weeping. I entered the house and noticed an old-fashioned chunk stove sitting at my left. The room was papered with yellow paper with little red figures on it. On the wall was the sign, God bless our home. In the center was a big brass bed, and over in the corner was a cot. On the bed was someone suffering terribly. Then I saw it was a girl and her legs were all drawn up. I looked and there was the angel of the Lord standing at my right side again. 
He asked, Can that girl live? I replied, Sir, I do not know. He said, Put your hand upon her and pray. As I prayed for the girl, I heard a voice in the room saying, Praise the Lord. As I looked the girl was raising up. Her right arm had been afflicted and drawn backward, but I saw it as it came straight. Then I noticed that the drawn crooked leg also became straight and normal, and I heard several crying and praising the Lord. I was just coming out of the vision when I heard someone saying, Oh Brother Brynham, Brother Brynham. I looked at the clock and found that several hours had gone by. It was near the break of day and someone was calling for me. It was a young man by the name of John Himmel. I had baptized him and his wife. He said, Brother Brynham, I am in trouble. In the war I backslid, and since that I lost one child, and now my little boy is at the point of death. The doctor says he can't live. I am ashamed to ask you, but will you come and pray for my child? I told him that I would. He told me that he would get his cousin, Brother Snelling, who had just been converted. He is now associate pastor of my tabernacle, to help us pray. I said, very well, not knowing that he was to help fulfill the vision. As we drove to the man's home, I asked, Mr. Himmel, don't you live in a little two-room house of a long shape? He answered, I do. I said, doesn't the front room have a red toe-fold chair and a bed on which the little boy is lying? And isn't the little boy, brown-haired and doesn't he wear blue corduroy overalls? He replied, that's him exactly. Were you ever at my house? I said, when you called me I had just left. Of course he didn't understand. I asked, Mr. Himmel, do you believe me? He answered, with all my heart I do. Then I told him, thus saith the Spirit, your baby shall live. At that a great conviction came over him. He stopped the car, threw himself across the steering wheel, and cried, O oh God, be merciful to me a sinner. He gave his heart to Christ while we were several miles from the house, and before ever the baby was healed. Now when we reached the house we found that the child was almost dead. The lungs were full and there was just a slight breathing in its throat. I said, bring me the baby. But when I prayed for it, nothing happened. The child couldn't get its breath and it almost strangled. I had expected it to be healed instantly. Now here is where I found that one could make a mistake if he doesn't watch clearly the vision. Everything must be as it was in the vision or it will not come to pass. I perceive now that the old woman whom I had seen sitting in the chair was not there. I could not tell anyone, but I knew that I had to wait until everything was exactly in order. They asked me what the matter was but I didn't say anything. I had to wait for God to fulfill the vision. I thought that I had failed God in going ahead, instead of waiting for his time. I waited an hour and a half. Finally Mr. Himmel and Mr. Snelling got up, put on their coats and started to leave. The baby was now just barely alive. It was almost six o'clock, but just at that time I happened to look out the window and there coming around the side of the house was an old woman wearing glasses. I began to praise the Lord. The lady was mysteriously moved to come in the back door. Usually she came in the front, just as the other two were going out the front door. The grandmother coming in asked if the baby was better. With that the mother began to cry, No it is dying, it is dying. Mr. Snelling being related to them, turned back, and I got up quickly and gave him the red dolefold. He took off his hat and sat down weeping. Then the grandmother took off her glasses which had become bluffed because she had been weeping and sat down in the other chair. The mother was leaning against the middle door crying. There, 
At last everything was the same as I had seen in the vision. I walked over to the front door and said to Mr. Himmel, Do you still have faith in me? He answered, I do, Brother Brynham. I told him that I was sorry, but I couldn't tell him a little while ago that I had stepped ahead of the vision. I now said, Bring me the baby. He walked to the bed, picked up the baby, and came walking to me. I then prayed, Father, I am sorry from the depths of my heart that your servant went ahead of the vision. But forgive me Lord, and let these people know thou art God and I am thy servant. In the name of the Lord Jesus, I say the baby shall live. While I had my hands on the child, suddenly it began to scream, Daddy! Daddy! And awoke to consciousness. The child threw its arms around the father, and everyone started screaming and crying and shouting. I said, Take the baby and lay it out on the bed. For thus saith the Spirit, it will be three days before its little limbs are completely untwisted according to the vision. At that time it shall come to pass that the boy will become normal. On the third day many gathered to go to the house where the boy was. My wife went along as a witness. The family did not know I was coming, but when the mother opened the door and saw me she said, Oh here is brother Brynham. Come on in. The boy is fine. As I went in, everyone gathered around the windows to see what was happening. I stood still and never opened my mouth, knowing that God would keep his word. It was like Paul who stood on the ship on the sixth day of the tempest, after the angel of the Lord had stood beside him, and said, I know that it shall be as he said, for I believe God. I knew the baby would walk to me. I stood there just a moment. Then the little boy, looked at me, came across the floor, put his hands in mine, and said, Brother Brynham, I'm well now. Hallelujah. God's promise cannot fail. When the vision is fulfilled, it is perfect. The vision of the healing of the crippled girl, now concerning the other part of the vision, I told my congregation that somewhere in the world, there was a girl with a drawn arm and leg, that also was to be healed in fulfillment of the vision. About two weeks passed. Finally one day as I was coming from my work, a friend of mine, Herb Scott, my foreman, said to me, Billy, here is a letter for you. I was busy at the time, and put the letter in my pocket, but as I started down the steps, something seemed to say, read that letter. So I opened it and as near as I can remember it, it read as follows, Dear Brother Brynham, I have a girl that is about years old. She is afflicted in her hand, her arm and right limb, and is all drawn up with arthritis. We belong to the Methodist Church and we live at South Boston, Indiana. We read your little book named Jesus Christ the same yesterday, today, and forever. Our pastor said there was nothing to it. That it was just another ism. But after the prayer meeting I received a strong feeling to write you. I am wondering if you would come and pray for my daughter that a miracle might be performed. Sincerely yours, Mrs. Harold Null. Something spoke to me that this was the girl. I showed the letter to my wife, and she too said that that must be the one. I decided to go to South Boston. I had never been there, and did not know where it was located, but Brother Wishart, a deacon in my church, said that he thought he knew and would go with me. A man and his wife, by the name of Brace, also went in my car the lady had been healed in my meeting and she and her husband wanted to go along to see the vision fulfilled. However, we got mixed up in our towns and drove quite a few miles before we found the right place. At last we were directed to another road, and as I was driving, I had a very strange feeling. It seemed as if I could not get my breath. Sister Brace looked at me and remarked, something is wrong. 
you look real white. I replied, no more single quote am, the angel of the Lord is near. I stopped the car and got out and put my foot on the rear bumper of the car. Then I happened to look to the side, and there was a graveyard. I looked at the tombstones, and lo, inscribed on them were the same names and numbers that I had seen in the vision. I got back in the car and said, we are on the right road. Mrs. Brace began to cry. We went several miles farther, and finally I remarked, when we get to the crossroads store ahead, an ished man with blue overalls and a yellow corduroy cap will come out and direct us. Soon we came to the store with the front painted yellow, and near it were four or five houses. I said, this is the place. Just as I drove up, out of the store came a man with blue overalls, a white mustache, and a corduroy cap. Mrs. Brace, when she saw this, fainted in the car. When the man got close to us I asked, do you know where Harold Nall lives? A man that has a crippled daughter. He answered, yes sir. Why do you want to know? I replied, the Lord is going to heal this girl. Show me where the house is. I looked at the old fellow and tears began to roll down his grey bearded cheeks, and his lips began to quiver as he directed us to the place. When I reached the door I was greeted by the mother of the young lady. She said, you are Brother Brynham. I knew you by your picture. She invited us in, and there, as shown in the vision, was the old chunk stove, the yellow paper, with red figures on it, the big brass bed, the girl lying upon it exactly as described, and the sign upon the wall, God bless our home. Mrs. Brace fainted for the second time. Then something happened. I found myself going to the bed where this girl was. I laid my hand across her, and said, let thy power be made known in the healing of this girl according to the vision that thou hast shown. Just then her crippled hand straightened out. She raised up from the bed, and her limb also became straight. Mr. Brace had just gotten his wife conscious again in time to see the girl raise up, and she fainted for the third time, going right over into the arms of her husband. The girl rose to her feet, went into another room, put on her clothes, and came back combing her hair, with the hand that had been crippled. This event can be verified by Mrs. Harold Nall who lives at Salem, Indiana at the time this is written. A few weeks after the previous vision, I was again at my mother's home. Like most other visions, this one came to me about two or three o'clock in the morning. It seemed that I was in a dark woods, and as I wandered along I heard a most pathetic cry. It seemed as if I were hearing a lamb bleating. I thought, where is that poor little thing? and I began searching for it through the cloud and darkness. At first I thought that it was saying, Baba. But as the sound got closer, it seemed to be a human voice saying, Milltown, Milltown. Well, I had never heard of that name before, and just then I came out of the vision. I began to tell my people that somewhere there was one of God's lambs in distress, and it was near a place called Milltown. A man by the name of George Wright, who had attended my church said that he knew of a mill town that was only a little way from where he lived. Brother Wright's address is 1325 the PAUW, Indiana. So the next Saturday I went to Milltown. Arriving there, I looked around but couldn't seem to see anything that the Lord would want me down there for. Finally I decided I would hold a street meeting in front of a store, but Brother Wright, who was with me, said that he had an errand to do first and asked if I would go with him. I answered. Yes sir, I will. We drove up a hill and I saw a big Baptist church, located next to a graveyard. Brother Wright said, this church is not being used anymore except for funerals. 
Just as he said that, I felt something move over my heart. There was where the Lord wanted me. When I told Brother Wright this, he replied, I will go and get the keys to let you inside so you can look at it. While he was gone I sat down on the steps and prayed, Heavenly Father, if this is where you want me, open this door for me. The Lord permitted that to happen, and I announced a meeting. But I soon saw that the situation would be very difficult, as the churches there had taught the people against divine healing. The first man I asked to come to the meeting said to me, we are too busy to go to any revival. We raise chickens and haven't time for anything like that. However, shortly after that, this man died, so he didn't raise any more chickens. The following Saturday we began the revival. Only four people attended and they were the right family. The next night was a little better. On the third night, a hard-looking man came to the door of the church, knocked the ashes out of his pipe, came in, and sat down in the back. Then he questioned Brother Wright, where is that little Billy Sunday? I want to get a good look at him. Brother Wright came forward and told me that a very hard case had just come in the building. However, before the service was over that very night, he was at the altar crying out to God. His name is William Hall and he is the pastor of the church now. Soon many were coming, and I mentioned to the people about the vision. Then Brother Hall came and said, Why Brother Brynham, there is a girl that lives down the hill here, who has been reading your book called Jesus Christ the same yesterday, today, forever. She has been lying on her back for eight years and nine months, and has never raised from bed. She is tubercular, and the doctors said years ago that there was no hope. She is now about years old. She lies there wasting away and weighs only about 40 pounds. The girl has been begging and crying for you to come down to her, but her parents belong to a certain church here, and it has been announced to that congregation that if any of them went down to hear you, they would be dismissed from the church. But, will you go? I answered, I will go, if you can get her father and mother to say that it is all right. I felt that God was leading me down that way. The girl's name was Georgie Carter and her father. I believe, was a superintendent of a stone quarry. The mother sent word that I could come down and see the girl, but that neither she nor the father would be in the house while I was there. When I entered the room, I saw my little book lying on the bed and I asked, Do you believe what you have read? She replied, I do, sir. This was spoken in a voice so low that I had to get very near in order to hear what she said. At that time I did not understand as much as I do now about healing but prayed for the people as I saw them healed by vision. So I told her about the Nile girl who had been healed, and suggested that she should pray that God would lead me through a vision to pray for her. Later, I learned, of course, that all may be healed by believing God's word, although God still reveals to me many healings by vision. The meeting went on. God continued to bless until there were several hundred people in attendance. One day I had a baptismal service at Tottenford on Blue River. That afternoon I was to baptize some thirty or forty people. Shortly before, in this locality, a minister had held a meeting there and had preached against immersion. But that afternoon God manifested his power in such a way that over fifteen of his people marched out into the water with their good clothes on and were baptized. Now all that week Georgie had been praying, O oh Lord, send Brother Brynham to see me again. Show him by vision that I may be healed so I can be baptized with the rest of them. When the day of the baptizing came, the girl was very restless and kept crying. The mother tried to quiet her, but her heart was broken and she could not be pacified. 
After the baptizing was over, I went to Brother Wright's home for supper. Brother Brace, who had been with me during the fulfillment of the other vision, was also along. But at this moment the Spirit spoke to me, saying, Eat no food now, but go to the woods to pray. So I said, I am going to pray a while, but when supper is ready, ring the bell. They had an old country dinner bell and I'll come. I then went into the woods some distance and started to pray. But it was difficult to pray as there were a lot of stickers getting into my clothes, and I kept thinking that I would be late for service. However, I started praying with all my heart, and soon I was lost in the spirit. Finally I heard a voice calling from somewhere in the woods. I raised up. The sun had gone down and it was getting dark. The dinner bell had rung but I had never heard it, and searchers had been sent out to find me. As I raised up I saw a yellowish light, shining down into the woods out of heaven. A voice spoke saying, Go by the way of Cartus. That was all. Then I could hear voices in various parts of the woods calling, O oh Brother Brynham, O oh Brother Brynham. I started out of the woods and almost ran into Brother Wright's arms. He informed me, Dinner has been ready for an hour and we have been calling you. What's the matter? I answered, I cannot eat. We are going by the way of Carter's. The Lord has sent me that way for the healing of Georgie. He replied, sure enough. He called, and Brother Brace came. We got into the car and started for Carter's, which was about seven miles away. We told the others to eat and then come on to church. We couldn't wait for them, as the vision spoke for me to go then. God was working at both ends of the line. You remember it was like that when the angel spoke to Peter. The people were gathered at Mark's house and they were all praying. Georgie had gotten very restless at this time. The mother was so distressed that she went into the next room and started praying. She said, Lord, what am I going to do? That fellow Brynham has come here and got my girl so stirred up, and she has been in a dying condition for nine years. Who is this man anyhow? After that she got lost in the spirit of prayer. Suddenly she heard a voice which said, Look up. As she lifted up her head she thought she saw a shadow upon the wall. She saw it was a person and it appeared to be Jesus. She asked, Lord what can I do? In the vision the Lord said to her, Who is this coming in the door? Then she saw me and two men following. She recognized me, by my high forehead, and the Bible I was carrying over my breast. She began saying, I'm not dreaming, I'm not dreaming. She ran into the next room and exclaimed, Georgie, something has happened. She began to tell the vision to her. When she was almost through telling it, she heard a door slam. She looked and there I was just arriving. I didn't knock. I just entered the door and came in. The mother fell back in the chair, almost fainting. I walked straight to the bedside and said, Sister be of good courage. Jesus Christ, whom you have served and have loved and have prayed to, has heard your prayer and has sent me according to the vision. Stand on your feet for he has healed you. I took her by the hand. Remember she had not raised herself up in bed for many years. They could hardly put a sheet under her, she was so covered with sores. Her head looked almost square. The eyes were deeply sunk and her arms looked like broomsticks at the widest place. But when I said that Jesus Christ had healed her, she immediately arose and got up on her feet. Her mother started screaming. There she saw her daughter for the first time in nine years, walking across the floor, not by her own power but by the power of the Holy Spirit, and without any human support. As I turned to go from the building, her sister came running in, 
and she too began to scream. Later, when her father came home and saw his daughter sitting at the piano playing, he almost fainted. He went downtown and began to tell all the people what had happened. The girl went out into the yard, sat down on the grass and began blessing the grass and the leaves. She looked up into heaven saying, Oh God, how good you are to me. She was so happy. At church that night the building was packed. When Sunday came we had another baptizing. Both Georgie and the Nile girl were baptized at Tottenford the following Sunday. Georgie is now a piano player at the Milltown Baptist Church and is in perfect health. Remember, read a friend, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. To whom it may concern, I had been in bed on my back for years and months with TB and the doctors had given me up. I hardly weighed pounds. And it seemed that all hope was gone. Then from Jeffersonville, Ind. About miles from our home, came Reverend W.M. Brynham, in a vision which he had seen of a lamb being caught in the wilderness and was crying, Milltown, that is where I live. Bro. Brynham had never been here or known of anyone from here. Coming in, he laid hands on me and prayed, calling over me the name of our dear Lord Jesus. Something seemed to take hold of me and at once I was up and thanking God for his power to heal. I went outdoors for my first time in eight years, then was baptized in the river. I am now the piano player at the Baptist church here. Much more goes with this great healing. I have not room in this testimony to write it all. I will gladly write and tell in full to anyone interested in my healing. Georgia Carter, Milltown, Indiana. Another vision which has meant much to me and which concerns the marvelous healing that I was to receive, came to me shortly after the vision I had of Christ. It seemed to me that I was very happy, as if I had just been converted. I was tripping along, rejoicing and sort of shadow boxing, as I was going out to the road. It was dark and as I was going along, suddenly it seemed that a big black dog ran out to me. I thought it was going to bite me, and I kicked at it and shouted, Get away, dog. When I did this, it raised up and I saw it was a big, tall, dark-looking man, dressed in black. He said, You called me a dog did you? I answered, I am very sorry. I thought it was a dog because you were down on your hands and knees. He snarled, You called me a dog. I'm going to kill you. And from under his belt he drew a long saber blade. I pleaded, Please understand me, sir. I didn't know you were a man. I thought you were a dog. As he got closer to me, he seemed to look like a demon. He backed me right up against a culvert, and growled, I'll teach you. I'll kill you. I replied, Sir, I am not afraid to die, for I have received Jesus in my heart. He's my helper and my strength. Only I want you to understand that it was a mistake that I said that. But he still said, I'll kill you. I was standing helpless against the wall and he drew back his hand to stab me. I cried out. But just at that moment, I heard a noise coming from heaven, and down out of the skies right by my side came a mighty angel, and he just looked with a stern gaze at that man with the great knife in his hand. The man moved back, dropped his knife, and ran as hard as he could. Then the angel looked at me and smiled. Pulling his robe around him, he went up into heaven again. This angel appeared to be the same one that visited me later on. I cried for joy as I realized God had sent his angel for my protection. I truly believe that this vision was fulfilled about two years ago, when the devil had me backed up in the comer, with that hideous nervousness that was about to take my life. When it seemed the end had come, 
Then God sent his angel on the scene and delivered me. Every few years during my life I would have a spell when I would become very nervous. In one campaign I stayed right in the pulpit and prayed for the sick night and day, taking only a little time for sleep. In other meetings the services often would run until two o'clock in the morning. I knew that I was making a mistake in doing this, but when I saw so many sick and afflicted my heart would go out to them, realizing that in many cases, for them it was a matter of life and death. Gradually I got weaker and weaker, but struggled to continue. Finally, after the campaigns in Tokoma and Eugene, I told my brethren that were with me that I would have to cancel all campaigns that had been scheduled and take a long rest. In fact, my nervous energy was so far gone that in my own mind I wondered if I could ever return to the field again. I went back to my home in Jeffersonville, but it seemed that I couldn't get my strength back. I thought I was going to die. One day one of my deacons, Curtis Hooper, came down and asked, Aren't you any better? I replied, No, I am not. It seems that I cannot get hold of myself. He said, Brother Brynham, I have a job to do down at the flying field. Come with me, it will do good. When I got down to the field, I felt so bad I thought I would not even get home again. I went out to the hangar shed and began to pray. I cried, Oh God! I know I have made mistakes. I asked you to forgive me. People want me to do different things. I am all confused. Only you can help me. Lord I can't stand anymore. Somehow I got back to the house. About this time I went to the Mayo Clinic to have a checkup just to see what was really wrong with me. So in the middle of the August heat, I was in Rochester, Minnesota five days. The doctors were fine men and they did their best to find what was wrong with me, as they put me through every kind of examination. During this time I was praying. I told the Lord that people with every kind of a nervous breakdown had come into my meetings and he healed them. Also that he had shown me wonderful visions of the healings of others and they were delivered. I prayed, Lord, you have never shown me a vision of my own deliverance over this terrible nervousness. My strength was so far gone that it didn't seem that I could get a hold of myself to believe God's word. The next day was to be the final day of the examination. On this morning I woke up and said to myself that in a couple of hours I would go over and get a report of what was wrong with me. I will always be grateful to God for what happened next. Suddenly I was in a vision. The first thing I saw was a little boy about seven years of age. He looked just like I did at that age. I was standing by him teaching him to hunt. Nearby was an old snag of a tree, and I said to the boy that he should not go near the tree because a dangerous beast lived there. I picked up a stick and rapped on the side of the tree. Suddenly, out on a limb ran a little animal about six inches long. It seemed to be a weasel, and it had tiny, black, sharp-looking eyes. Oh, he was a sly little creature. Next I saw he was going to attack us. I didn't have any gun. All that I had was a small hunting knife. I knew I was helpless with that knife. I thought to put the boy behind me to protect him, but it seemed that this time he has disappeared. Quick as lightning the beast made a dive at me. But just before he made the dive I heard the angel of the Lord speak on my right side, saying, Remember, it's only six inches long. Then the animal made a dive for my left shoulder. He went from my left to my right and back again just as fast as he could go. I couldn't stab him with my knife and as I opened my mouth to say something, he ran down my throat into my stomach and began to gudget it, over and over and over and over. I cried, Oh what can I do? 
Again I heard a voice saying, Remember, it is only six inches long. When the vision had left, I looked over and saw my little girl, Becky, and my wife lying in the bed asleep. I knew that the vision referred to my stomach trouble and nervousness. At that time nothing would stay on my stomach, and my weight had gone down to about a hundred pounds. Then I recalled that the angel had said, Remember, it is only six inches long. I prayed, O oh God, help me to understand the interpretation of the vision. I began to consider. Maybe that saying meant I would have the nervousness six months, that didn't seem right. Then I thought maybe it referred to six years, but that didn't seem to be the answer. Up till that time I had never thought of how many times I had had these nervous spells. Just then it seemed that my lips spoke of themselves. I seemed to say, maybe this means that I am to have them six times. Just at that time, I felt the Holy Spirit come over me with great power. Then a great baptism of the Spirit swept over me again. Then three times, four times, five times, six times. I began to count the number of times I had had the nervousness. The first time had been when I was about seven years of age. At that time I was crying because things had gone wrong in our family my dad drank very heavily, and I became melancholy and very nervous. About every seven years this nervousness had returned. I counted and this was exactly the sixth time. I rejoiced, for at once I became convinced that the Lord by the vision had shown me that this would be the last time of the nervousness. I had thought to myself that the doctors will want to operate and cut some of those nerves to the stomach. But the doctor's knife was the little knife in the vision. It was helpless. I went over to the clinic to get the report. When the doctors came together they began to ask me questions. I answered them as best I could. Then one of the leading doctors spoke, Young man, I am sorry to announce this to you, but your condition is something that you have inherited from your father. Your father drank before you were born. You will never be well. Your nerves affect your stomach and this causes your food to be thrown back. There is no cure for this, and there is nothing we can do. You are finished for the rest of your life. Just think, the best doctors in the world had told me that I was finished for the rest of my life. But praise God, just before they had said that, the Lord had spoken to me through the vision, and said that this was the last of the terrible thing. I went home. My mother met me and remarked, Son I have had a dream about you. Once before she had had a dream about me. It was a few days after my conversion, when she saw me standing on a white cloud preaching to all the world. This has practically been fulfilled now. I hope soon to be able to tour the European countries as well as Africa and Australia. Mother continued, Son, the other night, the same night as the time I had the vision, I was asleep and alone in the room. In that dream I was working and I saw you lying on a bed on the porch almost dead. I was expecting you to go at any time. Then I heard a peculiar sound, as of the cooing of doves. I ran over to where you were, and I saw coming down out of heaven, six white doves in the form of an S. They lit upon your bosom one at a time. The doves were the whitest I had ever seen and they were saying, Coo, coo, coo. They seemed to act as if they were so sorry. Then you said, Praise the Lord. After this the doves bowed their little heads, and again formed the letters, and went back to heaven, cooing as they went. Next I saw you rise up and you were in perfect health. Oh how encouraged I was. Two days after that I was sitting on the porch and was reading Brother Bosworth's little book, Christian Confession. Then I opened the Bible. I don't believe in opening the Bible, 
and expecting to get a message from the place it falls open. But this time I opened it, and my eye fell on Joshua I, where it says, Be thou strong and very courageous. The Lord God is with thee whithersoever thou goest. God had spoken to me by revelation, by vision and by his word. Then suddenly a voice seemed to say, I am the Lord that he left thee. I accepted it. I went into the house and took my wife into my arms and said, Honey, God has healed me. Praise God. I love him with all my heart. Today I am in better health than I ever was all the days of my life. I am so thankful. I will be grateful to him as long as I live. In my darkest hour Jesus came along. God had answered my prayer. Chapter 22 For nearly three years invitations had been coming to Brother Brunham to conduct a series of healing meetings in the Scandinavian countries. Various circumstances had hindered him from making such a journey, although from the beginning he felt assured that these calls were of God. In January, at the time that the writer rejoined the party, Brother Brynham asked him to make arrangements for the trip to Finland. This was a step of faith, as at that time there was no money available for the passage air tickets one way were dollar for a party of five and in fact, because of certain recent circumstances Brother Brynham had some unexpected obligations to meet. Nevertheless, in campaigns held during February and March, sufficient funds came in to meet these obligations and to secure air reservations for the entire party. Early in April, the party, which included besides Brother Brynham, Reverend J.M. Baxter, Reverend Jack Moore, Howard Brynham and the writer, upon concluding three days of services at Glad Tidings and Manhattan Center, in New York City, prepared to leave for Europe. On April, at three o'clock in the afternoon, the party boarded the large overseas airliner, flagship Scotland, and took off for London, England. It was on April, that William Brynham was born. April, was the day that America relinquished her historical isolationism and entered the European war. Historians tell us that it was on April, in the year AD that Christ died on the cross. Perhaps the members of the party might be excused for thinking that April, is a day of significance moving along over the Atlantic at better than miles per hour, and at an altitude of over, feet, the plane which carried the party landed on the following mid-morning at the North Old Airport near London. Several days were spent in visiting historic buildings and shrines of the world's largest city. The climax of the party's stay in that great metropolis was the visit to Wesley's Chapel. While there we also saw the Wesley residence, entering last of all the room in which John Wesley prayed every morning at 5 am before leaving, we all knelt down and had prayer. It was a moment not to be forgotten. After two days in Paris, which was spent visiting the historic landmarks, we continued our journey to Finland via a Scandinavian airliner. On the 7th of April, we landed at Helsinki where we were met by several ministers including Pastor Maninen, who had given us the invitation, and Sister May Isaacson our American-born interpreter, whose knowledge of the Finnish language contributed greatly to the success of our meetings in the first service at the Meshahali witnessed a crowd of in attendance. After that, several thousand waited outside all afternoon, standing in a line four deep and a half mile long, so that they might be assured of a seat in the largest auditorium in Finland. During a five-day interlude, when the auditorium could not be obtained, the party went north to Kaapio which is not far from the Arctic Circle. Faith was very high in this city and some marvelous miracles took place. One of these was the healing of little Virira Halanen, a war orphan, whose photograph is shown elsewhere in this book. 
she was marvelously delivered from wearing a brace and using crutches, after she had in faith touched the coat of Brother Brynham as he passed by. Two or three evenings the people just passed by and Brother Brynham said a brief prayer for each one. By the time that each service was over there was a good-sized pile of crutches and canes which had been discarded. Brother Baxter spoke at the afternoon services, and his messages were received with great interest. Brother Moore and the writer took the morning services, and prayed especially for the deaf-mutes and the blind. As many as seven or eight were healed at a time, one after another. One boy learned words so fast that he was used as an interpreter to communicate with the others who were prayed for. One incident that highly intrigued the audience was that the deaf-mutes when their ears were opened could learn English words as fast as Finnish. One event, which will never be forgotten by the members of the party, and which happened while they were at Kaapio, was the raising to life of a child that was run over and killed in an automobile accident, the circumstances of which had been previously shown to Brother Brynham in a vision. We shall let Pastor Vileho Soininen, of Kaapio, relate this remarkable incident, on Friday afternoon a remarkable and startling incident took place which meant much to Brother Brynham and to those of us who happened to be its witnesses. Three carloads of us made an unforgettable trip to nearby Puijo Observation Tower situated on a beautiful scenic elevation. The outing was one of the most precious I can remember, because of the blessing of God upon us. Then as we were returning from Puijo, a terrible accident occurred. A car ahead was unable to avoid striking two small boys, who ran out into the street in front of it, throwing one down on the sidewalk, and the other five yards away into a field. One unconscious boy was carried into a car just ahead of us and the other, Kray Homer, was lifted into our car and placed in the arms of Brother Brynham and Miss Isaacson who was sitting in the back seat. Brothers Moore and Lindsay were in the front seat with me. As we hurried to the hospital, I asked through Miss Isaacson, the interpreter, how the boy was. Brother Brynham, with his finger on the boy's pulse, answered that the boy seemed to be dead, since the pulse did not beat at all. Then Brother Brynham placed his hand over the boy's heart and realized that it was not functioning. He further checked the boy's respiration and could detect no breath. Then he knelt down on the floor of the car and began to pray. And brothers Lindsay and Moore prayed, too, that the Lord would have mercy. As we neared the hospital, about five or six minutes later, I glanced back, and to my surprise, the boy opened his eyes. As we carried the boy into the hospital, he began to cry and I realized that a miracle had taken place. The other boy had been brought in a little earlier and was still unconscious. As I was taking my guests back to their hotel, Brother Brynham said to me, Do not worry. The boy, who was in our car, will surely live. At that time Brother Brynham had no assurance that the other boy would live, but on Sunday evening he assured me on the basis of a vision which he had seen early Sunday morning, that he, too, would live. At the exact time that Brother Brynham was telling me this at his hotel, the boy lay dying at the hospital. However, according to the statement of the doctor, that night there was a change for the better, although on the 4th of April as I write this, he still occasionally lapses into unconsciousness. A later statement received declared that the boy had fully recovered. The boy, who was in my car, Curry, was dismissed from the hospital in just three days, and is feeling very well considering the circumstances. In the Friday evening service Brother Brynham told us about the vision which he had seen in America two years ago, and which had been fulfilled that afternoon when he had prayed for the dead boy. 
The angel had appeared to him that evening before the service and had reminded him of this vision which he had seen two years earlier, and which he had at that time told to thousands. Now it was fulfilled. Brother Branyam's coming to Kaapio was in the eternal plan of God. We of the Kaapio Ilim Assembly wondered why the Lord was so good to us that he granted to justice the gracious privilege of receiving his servant. The night we left Kaapio a great crowd of people assembled at the station and sang in their usual minor key, the beautiful Finnish songs. As the train pulled away from the depot, the singing gradually died away, but the pleasant memories of the days spent in Kaapio will not be soon forgotten. 600 yards from the Iron Curtain returning to Helsinki Brother Branyam continued services for several more days in the Meshahali. One morning we ventured out to the edge of the Iron Curtain. At one point we were only 600 yards from the Red Soldiers. The Finnish guard surrounded our car and warned us that this was no place to be. We were glad to return to our hotel. The communist element strongly opposed our meetings, and indeed demanded our arrest. A former chief of police of Kaapio, a very influential man, was present and intervened for us, and we were permitted to continue the services without interruption. Three days were spent in resting at the close of the campaign, in a castle owned by a wealthy Christian lady. We were treated as kings while there. However, when the Moscow news broadcast was turned on one evening, we were startled by the announcement interpreted for us which declared that American spies were operating under guise in Helsinki. We knew to whom the Moscow radio was referring, and were by no means elated over the notoriety which was being given us. In the case of a sudden outbreak of hostilities, we knew that all gates of exit would be closed immediately, with Russian guns only ten miles from the capital. Once a rumor was circulated that a break had come between America and Russia, over the shooting down of an American plane by the Soviets. It proved to be only a rumor, but it kept us uneasy. Fear dominates Europe and most of the Finnish people know that it is only a matter of time until the dam of communist power will sweep over the boundaries, and push the world into the throes of Armageddon. On the day that we left Finland, we received a special letter from one of the ministers of the state church, informing us that there had been a mass meeting of the ministers of the church, and that after considerable discussion, the body under the inspiration of the Branium meetings, had voted to accept the ministry of healing. The letter was a splendid one and we hope to have it printed in the TVH, as soon as we can get a certified translation. Brother Branyam wrote in reply a letter of thanks and encouraged the brethren to believe God for mighty things within their ranks. Though we were given to understand that the whole group who had gathered had voted to accept the truth of divine healing, we knew that did not necessarily mean that every minister in the state church had endorsed it. That some opposers might later appear might be expected but the overwhelming sentiment in favor which appeared in the letter we received that last morning was indeed encouraging to us, and made us feel that our journey to Finland had not been in vain. After a last farewell to our kind friends in Finland, we boarded a plane and two hours later were in Oslo, Norway. There we found a similar interest among the people. Unfortunately, there had been reaction in the government circles against the Ministry of Divine Healing. The health administrator had clamped down with a ban against praying for the sick, and we being foreigners, knew that the moment we should disobey this prohibition we would be expelled from the country. Nevertheless there was an unexpected and remarkable result of the ban. The city's ministerial group in a mass protest meeting of 200 ministers took only one minute to literally shout their unanimous agreement that protest should be made. 
The following protest was then drawn and signed by some of the most illustrious names in Norwegian religious life. To the Norwegian government sirs, healing through faith and prayer is an inherent part of the gospel, and this is an anchor in the life and work of Jesus Christ. Throughout the ages this doctrine has had a firm position in the commonwealth of Christian life and preaching. The Christian population of Norway principally stand as one man in this matter, even if details and ways of procedure may differ in churches and countries. The undersigned, therefore, vividly regret the measures taken by our authorities and form a protest against the prohibited regulations given, endeavouring to exercise censorship over Christian preaching. This procedure is of a nature to offend fundamental human rights in a free country, and disputes the principal worship. We suggest that the prohibitive restrictions be immediately repealed, imposed by act of the Oslo Chamber of Police. From Norway we went to Sweden, where several services were held at Gothenburg, one night at John Copping, and then for five days at Orebro where is located the famous Evangel Press, which sends out a steady stream of Christian literature. A crowd of 5,000 attended the first service which was held open air in the park. Our stay in Oribro was in all ways very pleasant and we trust profitable. From Oribro, the Branium party went north to Ornskoldsvik which lies only a short distance south of the Arctic Circle. Some people, it was estimated, jammed in and around the tent. It was said, and we have reason to believe that it is true, that this was the largest religious gathering in the history of the world near the Arctic Circle. Although at that time it was yet in the middle of the month of May, it was sufficiently light at midnight to take a picture of the tent. From Ornskoldsvik, we travelled south to Stockholm where is located the largest Pentecostal church in the world of some active members and a Sunday school of about. Our visit with brother Louis Bethres and his son, Oliver, who was our interpreter while there, was a highlight of our stay in Stockholm. Utterly unassuming in appearance, yet endowed with wisdom by which he has guided to a great extent the fortunes of the full gospel movement in Sweden during the past forty years, Brother Louis Bethras charmed all of us as we listened to him in private conversations, as was our privilege on two afternoons. Brother Bethras has a simplicity of faith and yet a spiritual shrewdness that has enabled him to build on strong foundations, until today the full gospel work in Sweden is renowned throughout the world. Brother Branium's ministry was well received in Stockholm, and indeed when it came time to leave, Brother Bethras expressed the hope that Brother Branium would find it possible to return again soon to Sweden. And so the trip overseas came to a close. Brother Branium and all of us had enjoyed our stay in Europe, but we must admit that we were glad when our giant airliner took off from the Stockholm field, and we began our journey home. When our plane landed safely at Idlewild the following morning. It was with happy smiles that the members of the Branium party put their feet once more on American soil. Brother Branium was back in America. The Scandinavian trip was now history. Eagerly he looked forward to a well-earned rest and a vacation trip in the mountains. Soon however, he would be back again to continue to preach and minister in the great summer campaigns, and to finish the course that God had given him, knowing that the Lord would keep him from every evil work and preserve him unto his heavenly kingdom. As Daniel of old, he would rest and stand in his lot at the end of the days.